John chapter 20, once again this morning. In our series through the gospel according to John, we are currently in the chapter where Jesus has resurrected. Remember last week we considered the importance of meeting corporately on the first day of the week. And how we have Thomas as an example here in our text if you doubt that it's important to be gathered with the saints. So if you missed last week, you need to go back and listen to it because I don't have time to recap any of it. So that's the recap. (laughs) And since that message was almost entirely on the importance of our gathering together, I want to look more closely at Thomas today. And as I mentioned last week, we'll be far more kind to Thomas this week. We'll begin by reading from chapter 20, verses 24 through 31. But Thomas... One of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen, and yet have believed. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through His name. So we see here in verse 24 that on Resurrection Day, the attention now turns to Thomas. Thomas is mentioned 12 times in the Bible. 11 times are in the Gospel accounts, with one occurrence uh, being in Acts, when it is listing who is present, a partial list of who is present when they are gathered in the upper room, waiting to be endued with power from on high. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke's account, Thomas is only mentioned once in each of those. And in every case where he's mentioned in those synoptic Gospels, it is just listing him as one of the names. And so what we learn beyond Thomas being an apostle, we learn from the book of John. We get more from John than any other on Thomas. He's mentioned eight times here in John. Five of those times is right here in our text. So what do we know about Thomas? Well, we know Thomas was one of the twelve apostles, which means he had been with Jesus from the very beginning of Christ's public ministry. Thomas was one who had forsaken all to follow Jesus. And for three and a half half years, he walked with Christ. Thomas is called Didymus. That's a cool nickname, amen? (laughs) Thomas was his Hebrew name and Didymus was his Greek name. It wasn't uncommon in those days for Jews to have two names, one in Hebrew, one in Greek, because there was such a blending of the two cultures there between Judea and Galilee. So in Judea, they would often be known by a Hebrew name. Up in Galilee or around Greeks, they would be known by their Greek name. And Thomas and Didymus mean the same thing in both Greek and Hebrew, and it means the twin. We get our English word ditto from the Greek word for Didymus. So evidently, Thomas was a twin. Any twins in here this morning? Amen, a couple of you. We have two Didymuses with us this morning. And 
He was a twin to somebody. We're never really told who uh, he was a twin to. There's a theory out there. Actually, there's a lot of speculation out there, and some of it's just completely absurd. But for those who care about such things, there is one theory that isn't quite as absurd, and that is that Thomas may have been the twin brother to Matthew. Uh, This theory is given because in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when those apostles are listed, uh, Thomas and Matthew are always listed together. I'm not really sure that proves anything, because in Acts 1.13, when Thomas is listed there as being in the upper room, so is Matthew, and they're not listed together. So you can take that for what it's worth. Perhaps Luke's account, though, is the most uh, compelling, because it mentions Simon and Andrew together, who we know were brothers. And it mentions James and John together, who we also know were brothers. And it mentions Matthew and Thomas together in a similar fashion. For me, the problem is if they are brothers, then why isn't it ever mentioned like the other ones are? So um, the bottom line, all of this is nothing more than speculation. So there you go. I just wasted your time this morning. Amen. (laughs) You're welcome. You're welcome. So we learn the first two mentions of Thomas in this book, along with what we just read in chapter 20. Thomas is a black and white kind of guy. He, he speaks very bluntly. He would speak what was on his mind, and he would ask what was on his mind with no mincing of words and wondering where he stood. He seems to be one extreme or the other. And Carson's not in here, but that's my son Carson. He's either beating you up or trying to lead you to Christ. You may recall in chapter 11, Jesus was about to return to Judea because He was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. But before that time, they were seeking to kill Jesus, and Jesus had told His disciples that, or actually the Bible says that after these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for He would not walk in Jewry because the Jews sought to kill Him. Well, Jesus says to His disciples, let us go into Judea again. And his disciples said to Jesus, Master, the Jews of late have sought to kill thee or to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? In other words, Jesus, are you crazy? You want to go back where they want to kill you? And it was Thomas who spoke up and said to the other disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. (laughs) Boom. That always makes me laugh for some reason. Well, let's go die with Jesus. You see, Thomas, he's the kind of guy, he just jumps right to the conclusion that Jesus will go with you, but this is a suicide mission. And and as a result of that, some people say Thomas was a pessimist. But isn't it interesting that Thomas was still willing to go? I didn't hear anybody else saying that. You see, Thomas was Peter before being Peter was cool. You know, Thomas, he's the first to verbalize, I'll die with you. Isn't that interesting? I'm building up the case that Thomas gets a bad rap. But Thomas is the one first saying, I'll I'll go and die with you. And like we saw in the account in Ruth that we looked at on Mother's Day, Thomas has that same attitude. Where thou diest, will I die. And so Thomas's straightforwardness, kind of a guy, it led to one of the greatest verses we have in the Bible. It's one that all of you, I'm sure, have heard and are familiar with. And in a... Humanly speaking, we have Thomas to thank uh, for that. You remember in John chapter 14, several years ago, <laughs> John chapter 14, we, uh, we saw Jesus had told His disciples that He was going to go and prepare a place for them. And that He would come again and receive them unto Himself, that where He was, 
there they would be also. And Jesus said to them, And whither I go ye know, and the way ye know. But it was Thomas who spoke up and said, Lord, we know whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? You see just how to the point, Lord, you say you're going and we know, but look, I don't know, I don't know where you're going because I don't know the way that you're going. And then Jesus gives us that great verse in John 14, 6. And He says it to Thomas. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by Me. So, you know, Thomas here, you kind of want these guys around. He had a Peter-like quality about him. He speaks up when others don't. He asks questions no one else is brave to ask. You ever been in that situation? where somebody sheepishly raised their hand, they asked the question that you wish you had the courage to ask, and then you're thankful that they did ask? That's Thomas. And as we see today, he's the one who says, except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, like I said, I believe personally Thomas gets a bad rap in our day. He's become known as Doubting Thomas. But would you hang on just a second? Can you tell me which of the followers of Jesus didn't doubt? They all doubted. The women went to the tomb to anoint a dead body. Not to have a sunrise service. And when they went and told the disciples that they had seen the risen Lord, the disciples didn't believe them. And so I'm looking at this going, poor Thomas. We call him Doubting Thomas, but he's just doing what the other ones did. Amen. I mean, I don't know why he's treated as one of the major doubters of the group. If I were Thomas, I'd be like, wait just a minute. All y'all didn't believe until you saw the risen Lord either. Amen. You just back off. Well, I made the application last week from Thomas being absent, but the fact is we're not given the reason why he was absent. Often the conclusion is drawn it was because Thomas was the slowest to believe. But they were all slow. Could it be that while the others were hiding out of fear of the Jews, Thomas wasn't there because he was not in fear? Maybe he was in more fear, and that's why he was hiding somewhere else. We're not told. It could be that Thomas was such a black and white kind of guy that he's examined the evidence that's before him and he knows Jesus has died. He knows Jesus was put in the ground and he understands that his faith rises and falls upon a living Messiah and that if there's a dead Jesus, then there's a dead faith. If Jesus remains in the tomb, then He could not possibly be the Messiah. So maybe Thomas is just ready to move on and wait for the next one to come along. Because if Christ be not risen, then he knows that he has wasted three and a half years of his life following a liar. Like I mentioned last week, it could be that Thomas is like so many who when their crisis point comes in their life, instead of running to the gathering of the saints, they run the other way. And they continue to go on doubt and fear and stress and all the rest because they're forsaking the assembling of the saints. And for all we know, Thomas's absence may have just been something physical. Might have got T-boned on the way to the gathering, amen? They got T-boned on the way up here, but anyway. You know, I, maybe Thomas was in the hospital. Maybe he got COVID or something. 
Maybe in his stress, he ate too much Mexican food and he's doubled over somewhere. <laughs> he could just have a gut ache. What? Okay, my wife's reminding me this is live stream that we're not in the first service. Hey, listen, for all we know, Thomas, he was heading out to the island of Cyprus to hang out on the Mediterranean Sea for his 25th wedding anniversary. I don't know. Amen. Somebody say amen right there. Amen. Uh, Sherry Mitchell's like, you ready to go? I was like, in my mind, I'm already gone. Amen. I, I'm ready. I'm ready to split town. So don't bug me. All right. We don't know what happened. Uh, he may have had a legitimate reason for not being there. And we need to be careful just jumping to conclusions. Because that's what we good Baptists like to do. Well, bless God, I'll tell you why Thomas wasn't there. He was a backsliding, no good for nothing Baptist. Maybe he broke his leg. Some would have said, get this now. Here's what some people would have said. I know Jesus showed up because Thomas needed it. And Thomas wasn't even here. Come on now, we're getting real, ain't we? Because that's what people like to do. Boy, that message would have been great for Brother Long. When it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Isn't that right? Boy, we sure like to find reasons why other people are missing. And like Brother DeGarmo taught in Sunday school, we need personal revival. So before you go off on someone, just pump the brakes. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Let's see the reason why someone's not there before you leap to accusations and theories. Amen. Let's move on to verse 25. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. Can I just stop right there and tell you that as uh, children of God, we ought to testify when we have been with the Lord. We ought to be telling others about our experience in Christ. We ought to be encouraging our brethren, trying to edify and build them up in the faith. If you've tasted the mercy and grace of our Lord, then share it with others with the right spirit. You know Psalm 107 verses 1 and 2 say, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Now let's keep reading here in verse 25. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hand the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. Well, you'll remember in 2020 our theme was believe to see. The emphasis was we need to believe by faith before we will see. We have faith first, then we see, according to Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But here we find Thomas who is determined that he's not going to believe any further than what he can see and what he can touch. But understand this morning that our faith is never to be rooted in our natural senses. So while they all had a lapse of faith, I will say this about Thomas, he becomes more obstinate in his lack of faith because he's now putting conditions on the basis of what will cause him to believe. Notice he says this, I will not believe. He doesn't say, I cannot believe. I will not believe. He's not laying down reasons for his unbelief but he is giving his conditions to establish his belief. 
Unless I see and touch, I will not believe. You see, Thomas has now put up a barrier to his faith. This point isn't necessarily true of Thomas, but the truth is, many people will not believe because they know by placing their faith in Christ, it's going to turn their world upside down. I've witnessed to those who would not believe because they understood it meant they would have to change in their life, that God would change them, and that their sinful lifestyle would have to be let go of. I can remember distinctly, though it was 23 years ago, I can remember witnessing to a co-worker while stationed in Korea, and she made it very clear, I understand exactly what you're saying, I know exactly the consequence of rejecting, but I will not accept Christ right now because I still want to do, and she put her finger on her problem. And I wonder if there's anybody like that this morning. By the way, if you are not presenting the gospel in a way that is life-changing, you're not presenting the gospel of Christ. This is very important you understand this. The gospel of man today is come as you are and leave as you were. There's a nut preacher out in Seattle... He sees an average attendance of over 7,000 per week. Listen to this. This is some of his quotes. God is not in a hurry to fix us. Our behavior is not His first priority. We need a bigger estimation of God and a smaller estimation of sin. Jesus is not your judge. That's man's gospel today. But the Bible says that in Christ... We are new creatures. Behold, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And, and Jesus did die to fix us. Listen, He did die to change our behavior. What are you coming to Christ for? I just wanted to get out of hell. You might want to examine yourself to see whether you be in the faith. Somebody help me preach. Because this is needed in this day and this hour. And no, we don't need a smaller estimation of sin. It was sin that Jesus bore on the cross. Why would we want a smaller estimation of why God came to die for us? The Bible makes it abundantly clear that Jesus is our judge. That is undisputable. How can men get away with saying this to their congregations? Because they are not in the Word of God. And that's why we're in the position we're in in American churches. Frankly, I would rather have someone be honest and say they are unwilling to believe because they don't want to change life. At least they have a better grasp of the life-changing power of the gospel than this religious nonsense that is sweeping our nation. Even Jesus said, I wish you were hot or cold. Would you make up your mind? Well, back to Thomas, we see he establishes these conditions for his belief. By way of application, I just want to point out, those who say Jesus is not alive are those who have never met Him. They are the ones who have never experienced the Lord showing up. And this is why I hate dead church. We have had a generation now of a multitude of people going to dead church where Jesus has been pushed to the outside and now He's standing on the outside knocking to come in 
Because we have taken Jesus and said, just go over there. And our churches are dead. And it's no wonder that we are losing a generation of young people because they are not experiencing the resurrected Lord. The Lord showed up. They knew it. I want to tell you, if the Lord shows up in here, you'll know it. And you won't be worried about whether or not we're going to beat, beat the uh, Lutherans to the steakhouse. Time won't really matter when Jesus shows up. We'll all just be excited that we're in His presence. You say, you picking on me because I looked at my watch? Yeah. Listen, once you meet the Lord in His fullness, you'll see the folly of seeking for signs. Like Thomas here, I... You know, this was a major problem with the Jews. Paul stated in 1 Corinthians 1.22, for the Jews require a sign. The scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees all requested Jesus to show them a sign from heaven. When Jesus cleansed the temple in chapter 2, the religious Jews said, What sign showest thou unto us, seeing thou doest these things? They wanted a sign that would verify Jesus' authority over the temple. Jesus said in John 4.48, Except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. And in Matthew 12.39, Jesus said, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. But John 12.37 says, Though He had done many miracles before them, yet they believed not on Him. I don't know about you, but I do find myself asking the question, why did God honor Thomas's request? for a sign, and yet we don't see that happening with the religious crowd. Well, I think it must have something to do with God seeing the heart. When the haters of Jesus sought for a sign, the Bible says that they did so tempting Him. Jesus knew they were not seeking with a right heart. Thomas must have been seeking with the integrity of a true heart. And interestingly enough, I don't really see our Lord upbraiding Thomas in this text, although there are some who make that um, argument from verse 29, what is said there. I remember when Gideon twice put out a fleece, and God never upbraided him. I think it's the heart issue. That's what I think. Of my opinion, of just what I think. Now, I want you to please don't misunderstand me. While God knows your list, I'm not a fan of lists and signs and... Fleeces. Why? Because we have the Word of God. Listen to me. All the answers you need are right here. So we don't have to do those things. I'm just giving you what's here in the text. You see, when the rich man died and went to hell, he requested that one from the dead would go witness to one of his five, or to all of his five brothers, because he didn't want his brothers to end up in a place of torment like he was. But the answer back to him was, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded though one rose from the dead. In other words, what the rich man in hell was being told, they have the Word of God. And that's all they need to believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior. We don't need signs to validate our faith. God's Word says it, that settles it. doesn't matter if you believe it or not. I don't like that bumper sticker. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. doesn't matter if you believe it or not. God says it, that settles it. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by signs. Faith cometh by putting out fleeces. No. Faith cometh by hearing, 
and hearing by the Word of God. Consider this though, after Jesus said to that group that day, an evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, He said this, And there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus did promise one sign. That would be His death, burial, and resurrection. Therefore, what Jesus is doing for Thomas is really what He had already said He was going to do. It was already the sign to begin with. My point is this. I would not take from this text that you are justified, that you are validated in trying to see signs from God in order to have faith. Don't don't take that from this text. The sign of the empty tomb has already been given. And we have the Word of God. Well, in verse 26, there's another gathering on Sunday evening. And this time, Thomas is with them. Perhaps they offered a potluck. Got Thomas in the door, amen? (laughs) You all know those people. Wow, you haven't been in church in 23 consecutive weeks, but we had fried chicken and here you are. Well, the Lord showed up again. That's a great thing. And notice in verse 27, immediately after Jesus speaks peace unto them, He turns His attention directly back to Thomas And he tells Thomas what Thomas was asking for earlier. Reach hither thy finger. Behold my hands. Reach thither thy hand and thrust it in my side. I want you to know God knows your heart. He knows your thoughts. He knows your mind. He knows what it is that you need. Jesus knew the heart and mind of Thomas. He knew what he said in verse 25. And in our Lord's grace and in our Lord's mercy, in His compassion, He shows to Thomas His nail-pierced hands and His pierced side. And He says to Thomas, Be not faithless, but believing. I want to tell you that's God's will for all of mankind. That's God's will for you this morning. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He wants you to believe. He's done everything necessary for you to be able to believe. You just need to be willing to believe. Isn't that what Thomas said? I will not believe. You have to be willing. And if, if verse 21, as we studied a couple weeks ago, if that's the great commission, then verse 28 could be called the great confession. Look at what Thomas says. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. I cannot overemphasize the importance of this verse. Just my opinion, I reckon, but I think it's one of the key verses in all of the Bible right here. This was the issue. This is the issue still today. Who is Jesus? Was He really the fulfillment of all the law and all the prophets and the Psalms? Was He just another man or was He God in the flesh? When Thomas came face to face with our resurrected Lord, he no longer had any doubts about who Jesus is. And without mincing any words, he clearly and joyfully proclaims, He is my Lord and my God. Multitudes of people, several religions, are trying to have God without having Christ, and that is an impossibility. I don't care what the Mormons tell you. I don't care what the Jehovah Witnesses tell you. You cannot have God without having Christ as God. You ought to see them try to get around this verse. Jesus was not a man who became God. He was a God who became man. Why? For the sufferings of death. 
And the truth of Thomas's confession is the reason why John is inspired to write this gospel account. It opens up in John 1.1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And as this gospel account now is winding down and about to close out, look what it said there in verse 31. But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through His name. Believe what? Believe that Jesus is the Christ. Amen? Believe that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies. Believe that Jesus is the mighty God, the everlasting Father as Isaiah prophesied. The intent is that you believe that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Believe that Jesus was God in the flesh. Believe that He is the Lord God Almighty. And in believing this, that you would understand that there is no salvation outside of Christ. That believing ye might have life through His name. From Thomas's question in John 14, we get that great response of the way, the truth, and the life. And now in Thomas's faith, we get this great confession that Jesus is both Lord and God. And this is the great question today. Do you believe? that Jesus is both Lord and God. Do you believe you can have life through His name? Do you believe that God robed Himself in flesh to bear your sins upon the cross of Calvary because you could never be good enough to save yourself? It's not of works, lest any man should boast. Do you believe that He died, was buried, rose again the third day, and is now ascended on high in heaven? Listen to me, please. I'm not asking if you can give a mental assent, if you can give a verbal recognition to these things being true, but I'm asking, do you believe that in your heart of hearts? Have you placed your faith and trust in Christ alone? Have you had your sins washed away by the blood? He's still the answer. And it takes His blood. These are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing, ye might have life through His name. If you're not born again, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Are you willing to believe? That's the question. Are you willing? Be not faithless, but believing. According to verse 29, you'll be blessed because you will be willing to believe even though you've never seen Him. Let's pray.